Good morning. It's good to see you all today. I am Roger. And today we are continuing our sermon series called Breakthrough. And today's message is Breakthrough of the Kingdom. So over the years, I have been blessed to see uh, many people miraculously healed. Like, for instance, um, they had a tumor on an x-ray. Some people prayed over it. The person went back to the doctor, and the tumor literally was not on the x-ray anymore. A doctor-confirmed miracle. I have also seen people prayed for who did not get healed. I was one of about 10 pastors, and we all went and we visited someone in the hospital who was dying, a guy who was about my age with young kids. And we all circled around him in his hospital room and just prayed our guts out. And that man went to be with the Lord. We live in a world where there are really cool God stories, sometimes miraculous answers to prayer. But we also live in a world where there is pain, where there is death, even evil. A world where we see people being abused, trafficked, tortured, killed. There are cool stories about people who finally got sober and now they have decades of sobriety. And there are others who die from their addictions. I personally have friends and family members who have decades of sobriety. And I personally have seen uh, people who are close to me die from their addictions. So why is it that we live in a world where we see both the evidence of God's power and we see people suffering and dying? Why is it that sometimes it seems like God answers our prayers and other times he doesn't. The answer lies in an understanding of the kingdom of God. And that's what we'll be fo focusing on this morning. So the kingdom of God was central to Jesus' mission here on the earth. Uh, in Mark 1.15, Jesus announced the time promised by God has come at last. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Luke 17, 21. For the kingdom of God is already among you. And then Luke 4, 43. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God in other towns too, because that is why I've been sent. So God made everything. He's the ruler of everything. He is the sovereign king of everything that he created. But then Satan... And a third of the angels in heaven rebelled, and there was a battle, and those angels were cast down to the earth. Now, here's an interesting question. How many do you think that would be? The book of Hebrews talks about a number of angels that is too great to count. Some translations use the word innumerable. Others use the word myriads. Uh, the NIV says thousands upon thousands to describe the number of angels that there are. In Revelation 5.11, we read that they are numbering thousands upon thousands, 10,000 times 10,000. Well, I can do the math. 
10,000 times 10,000 is 100 million. Now imagine that a third of those are now fallen angels, demons, living here amongst us. That's a lot of demons. So in this world, this world has become this present evil age in which we live. In Galatians 1.4, it says, Jesus gave his life for our sins just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. Now God promised in the Old Testament that he would put an end to this present evil age by sending Messiah to defeat wickedness in all of its forms, save his people, and bring salvation to the earth. For the ancient Jews, though, this idea of the kingdom of God was primarily a physical reality. The expectation was that one day Messiah would come and he would reign on the earth. On that day, God's people would be delivered from their oppressors and brought home from their long years in exile. The world would be set to rights, brought under God's shalom, his peace, again as it had been in the beginning. God's anointed, appointed king would rule the people of the world with mercy, justice, and love. That was the day they hoped for. That was the day they prayed for. That was the day that they persevered for. And they're going to put a diagram up on the screen, and it's also in your sermon notes in your bulletin, of the Jewish expectation of the coming of Messiah. The Jews expected Messiah to come all at once, and usher in a new age. So the word on there, uh, perusia, on the diagram is a Greek word, and it means presence or arrival. However, instead of destroying a geographical sovereignty, namely the kingdom of Rome, or making changes in the external political order, Jesus came to do something else entirely. He made changes in the spiritual order of the lives of people. Jesus made it clear that his struggle that he was engaged in was a battle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. He came to invade this present evil age with the age to come, attacking the enemy's rule over people's lives. Jesus' words, Jesus' works demonstrated the presence of the kingdom, his presence here on the earth. So there's a second diagram that will come up there. And this is a more accurate picture of what Jesus did. When Jesus died and he rose again, he inaugurated the coming of the kingdom of God. The kingdom is here, but it is not yet fully here. It was inaugurated, but it has yet to be consummated. It will not fully be here until Jesus' second coming. When Jesus came, the power of the future age broke through from the future into the present. And 1 John 3.8 says, The Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. We see evidence of the inbreaking of the kingdom of God whenever we see salvations, answered prayers, marriages restored, 
people who have fallen away returning to Jesus, deliverance from demonic strongholds, the tearing down of demonic powers, corrupt powers, unjust systems. We see evidence of the inbreaking of the kingdom of God whenever we see people move from self-sufficiency to Holy Spirit sufficiency, dependency on the Holy Spirit. We see evidence of the inbreaking of the kingdom of God when we see forgiveness, when we see humility, when we find that it is easier to become, to be a servant than to be the center of attention, when we find we don't need to always get our own way, we don't need to justify ourselves or defend ourselves, all of these are evidence of the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. Until Jesus returns, we as followers of Jesus are called to be those agents of transformation in this world we live in, those light bearers, those ambassadors of the kingdom of God, bringing that future reality wherever we go. Why? Because we live in a world at war. Remember those demons I was telling you about? How many of them are out there? Millions. So one of the best analogies I know of to explain this is this. Oscar Kullman, C-U-L-L-M-A-N, he was a Swiss theologian. He uses the analogy of D-Day to explain the tension of Satan's defeat at the cross and the fact that we still see him wrecking havoc today. On D-Day, during World War II, Europe invaded. Europe was invaded and the battle shifted in the Allies' favor, right? If you saw the movie Saving Private Ryan, you know the scene. So in a sense, when the Allied forces took that beachhead in Normandy, historians say that the war was essentially won. It was only a matter of time before Hitler and his forces would be defeated. However, there was an 11 months of warfare and bloodshed to come. Historians say that more lives were lost between D-Day and VE Day, Victory in Europe Day, than at any other time during the war. So like that... Christ coming to earth and his death on the cross represent D-Day. We know in the end who will win. But we wait the final consummation of the war against evil when Jesus will come again. V-E Day. Until then, we live in between the times. In an age when Satan knows who will win in the end, but he is doing everything he can to take out you, your family members, and even the very memory that you existed. Steal, kill, destroy, right? In other words, there is a spiritual warfare that is to be fought by the followers of Jesus, an ongoing battle against the powers of hell. So, in case you haven't gotten it yet, Satan and his demons are real. They are evil. And the Bible says that they control the world. 
1 John 5, 19 says, we know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. They have supernatural power. They can have turf assigned areas. Read Daniel 10. So I want to talk about the battle fronts of the enemy and what he does on each front. There are six battle fronts. They're in your notes. Moral, physical, intellectual, social, economic, and spiritual. I'm going to tell you what the devil does on each battlefront and what we need to do to fight it. Okay? So morally, it's simple, Satan entices people to sin. Okay? Physically, he inflicts disease and death. Intellectually, he seduces people into error. Socially, he provokes hatred and chaos. Economically, he produces injustice and oppression. And spiritually, he blinds the minds of unbelievers to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to talk about what we can do to fight him on each front. But first, here's the big truth I want you to get this morning. The church, big C church, that's like you, me, and everybody else who follows Jesus Christ, is God's army to advance the kingdom of God, bringing the rule and reign of God into this dark world. Okay? Now, we can hear that and we can think, okay, I get it, but what can I do about that? It seems like something out there, right? It's not tangible to my own life. Well, let me tell you a little story. So there was a pastor who was also a veteran, and he talked about how when he finished boot camp, he was assigned to a platoon with an experienced sergeant. He said the sergeant deployed the new recruits in a trench on the battlefield. The sergeant took his bayonet and he scratched marks in the dirt on either side of each man. And he said, soldier, your battle exists between these two marks. Your sole task is to defend your 24 inches of battleground. Don't worry about everything and everyone else. That's my job. Don't worry about the whole battle. That's the brass's job. You just worry about your 24 inches. That's your battlefield. Winning at spiritual warfare, bringing the rule and reign of God into this world begins with ourselves, with our 24 inches. So how do we lead ourselves well? So I'm going to go through each of the battlefronts of the enemy, moral, physical, intellectual, social, economic, and spiritual, and talk about how we can win on each front, all right? Number one, moral. We take sin seriously. That doesn't mean we keep trying harder not to sin. That doesn't work long term. Rather, 
We strive to live lives of transparency and accountability. I've had several accountability partners over the years, guys who I'm completely honest with, guys who I have given permission to ask me any question. Everyone needs someone in their life who they are completely honest with and someone they have given permission to ask them anything. The devil works in the darkness. The devil works in secrets. But his power evaporates when we bring it out into the light. Transparency, accountability, bringing our junk out into the light so the devil can't gain a foothold in our lives. Right? No more secrets. That's how we win the moral battlefront. Okay, physically... Physically, it's all about the power of prayer to bring the power of God into the dark places in this world. So we pray boldly and obediently for healing, physical, emotional, spiritual. We pray to demolish demonic strongholds. We pray over our loved ones, our leaders, our community, our nation, our world. We pray or walk through our neighborhoods and through our community, praying for those who feel like they have no hope and they need the salvation of Jesus Christ. And we pray against the powers of darkness in our community. Right? The devil is real. I remember back in my last church, um, I think it was like a Wednesday or Thursday morning, you know, we're all doing like office work and stuff. And we get a call from, uh, at the church from a lady. She said, there's a dark presence in my house and the furniture is moving. And so uh, I'm like, okay, I'm not going to do this alone. <laughs> so, I, so I go grab like three other pastors and <laughs> grab some anointing oil. And uh, we rode there in uh, one of the pastor's cars who I remember, it was a black Chevy Impala. So I'm like, you know, four of us in that car, I'm like, man, I feel like we're men in black or something, you know. <laughs> so we get there and uh, I, I didn't see any furniture moving, but definitely when I walked in, I definitely uh, sensed a dark presence in there. It kind of gave you chills. And uh, just, just looking through, through the home, I mean, it was, it was in squalor. So we went through all the rooms, we prayed prayers of blessing, you know, anointing things, I'm quoting scripture all throughout the house. Um, afterward, we, we interviewed the lady and come to find out there were all kinds of nasty things going on in that house, right? Drugs, prostitution, abuse, um, interest in the occult. One of the things I realized is that the demonic is attracted to sin like flies are to excrement. Okay, so even if you clean the house, they'll come back with their reinforcements if you don't get rid of the stuff that attracts them. Remember when I said the devil works in the darkness? He works in secrets, but his power evaporates when you bring things into the light. That is why living a life of transparency and accountability is important. Otherwise, the devil will use that hidden sin against us. I had a mentor 
um, who mentored me in prayer, uh, once tell me this. He said, Roger, it's important to not have a hidden sin life. He said, especially when you're going against the demonic. He said, he told me that he and his prayer team were praying for a woman uh, to be delivered from the demonic. And the demon in the woman said to him this. She said, who are you to pray for me? You who, and then she proceeded to list all of his sins. So this stuff's real, right? We are God's army, advancing the kingdom of God, bringing the rule and reign of God into this dark world. So that's the physical battlefront, praying with boldness to bring light into the darkness. Intellectually, it's the next front. Intellectually, we commit to learning and growing in the knowledge of God's word, not to have knowledge that puffs up and makes us proud of ourselves for how much we know, but so we can be armed with the word of God both for ourselves and for others, right? So we can, with Holy Spirit sensitivity, graciously yet powerfully speak and present the truth that sets people free. So let me talk a little bit about learning God's word. I'm sure at some point I'll do a message on how I think uh, we should do that, but here's, here's just a general guiding principle for you. I've been in a lot of churches, and I met a lot of people who knew a lot of scripture. But if you can quote scriptures left and right, and you are still a jerk, <laughs> or you are unloving, or unforgiving, or gossiping, or judgmental, then you miss the point. You want to know how I can tell if someone is growing in Christ? I don't ask them to quote scriptures to me. I don't ask them to describe the construction of the tabernacle or something like that. I look for the fruit of the Spirit, right? Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And how do I look for that? I ask your spouse. I ask your kids. These are the people who see you behind closed doors. If you are growing in Christ, uh, they'll see it. They'll say something like, I can't believe how much more loving or patient or gentle he is. So reading God's word should not result in just information, but transformation. Better to take one verse and apply it to our lives than study a whole book of the Bible and apply nothing. Okay, so that's the intellectual battlefront, that we would study God's word in order to apply it and encourage others with it, not just so we can be prideful for how much we know, okay? Socially, the social battlefront, we commit to extending the love and grace of Jesus Christ 
to others, even those who are different from us, even those who believe differently from us, even those who vote differently from us, even those we think are our enemies. Okay, I'm gonna ask you a few questions. How many friends do you have that look or believe or vote differently from you? Or how many friends do you have that you're pretty sure don't follow Jesus? If you suddenly realize, wow, I'm spending all of my time with churched people. And then you intentionally go out and start building relationships and showing love to people who are far away from Jesus, then God will bless you and you will start seeing some really cool God stories in your life. That is the social battlefront. Showing the love and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ to people particularly those who are different from us and those who are far away from the Lord. Economically, that's the next battlefront, we defend the poor, the downcast, the unjustly treated, anyone who is marginalized, working to bring heaven's justice as God's ambassadors here on the earth. Is there something in this world that you just can't stand. Like, you have to do something about it, right? It's like the old Popeye cartoon, right? Some of you will get this, some of you have no clue who Popeye is, right? <laughs> but you know, right before he like popped open the spinach, he would say, that's all I can stands and I can't stands no more, right? I didn't get the voice right, but <clears throat> you get it. Is there something you just can't stand in the world, some injustice that you need to do something about? Perhaps the Lord is leading you to join a ministry or maybe even start a ministry. So, story about that. I moved here from Kansas City, Missouri, and several years ago I discovered that Kansas City, um, I think because of its central location in the United States, and literally if you look at it like on an atlas, like all these interstates just kind of coming out of Kansas City, right? Because of that, um, Kansas City was like number three or number four in the nation for human trafficking. And at the time, we didn't have any ministry in the church to even educate our parents on how to protect their children from being groomed and abducted by a predator, never mind like actually working to help bring women out of that lifestyle. So I issued a call in, in a sermon I gave. I said, if you're interested in being a part of such a ministry, let me know. And I had about 40 people indicate that they were interested and out of that 40 people formed a leadership team of three women it's interesting, like it's mostly women who are passionate about this. It's like, um, but formed a leadership team of three women. Um, since then, two of those 
three leaders have left, but the one remaining surprised me really with how much leadership she had. She has grown that ministry tremendously. And it is educating families, and it is partnering with local ministries uh, to make an impact on the systematic injustice in the world that is human trafficking. I mean, it's a horrible, horrible thing, right? Evil. Okay? Bringing light and hope where there is darkness and despair. Is there some injustice in this world you just can't stand that you have to do something about? So that is the economic battlefront, recognizing injustice and doing something about it. Okay? Spiritually, it's the last battlefront. We work to be the hands and feet of Jesus as we show Christ's love in practical ways in our community through our service and our love. So one of the things that the data is clear on, if reaching young adults, particularly millennials, Generation Z, if that's a priority for Life Church, then we had better do some practical things to meet the needs of the community. It is sort of the post-modern mindset that our actions speech, speak much louder than our words, right? They're asking, what are you actually doing to make a difference in this world? Okay, and I think one of the ways that we can get started on this is this idea of servant evangelism. Okay? It's finding ways to serve and love on people in the community in practical ways with no strings attached. It's another way we can bring God's kingdom into this world. So it could be doing some lawn work for an elderly person who can't do it for themselves. It could be giving food to someone who needs it. it. could be a coat drive. could be a clothing drive. Maybe it's donating at Thanksgiving or Christmas uh, meals to families who can't afford it. Maybe it's Christmas presents uh, to families who can't afford to buy gifts for their children. It's meeting a practical need that the Holy Spirit shows us, right? It's showing God's love in practical ways. I mentioned before when I was here in, in January that I grew up very poor. And it was the local church that provided us, often provided us with meals at Thanksgiving and at Christmas, and there were several Christmases. I remember my mother, my stepfather telling me, um, yeah, we just can't afford to buy you anything this year. And it was the local church that came in. Right? So those ministries have a... Um, a place in my heart, because I was that kid. It is us as a church working to be the hands and feet of Jesus as we show Christ's love in practical ways through our service and our love. So those are the six battlefronts. Two of my greatest passions are this. Number one, Seeing people brought out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of God. And number two, seeing people filled and empowered with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Okay? I don't think it's one or the other. You can have both. 
being filled with the Spirit, living in dependence on the Spirit, and moving in the power and the presence of the Spirit, this is the key to defeating the enemy and to rescuing people from his kingdom. Why? 1 John 4.4 says, The Spirit who lives in you is greater than the Spirit who lives in the world. So next week... I will begin the first of two messages on the breakthrough of the Holy Spirit. How can we be filled with the Holy Spirit, live in dependence on the Holy Spirit, and move in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit? I want us as a church to regularly be praying for healing, getting and sharing words of knowledge, Practicing gifts of faith and discernment and seeking God's miracles. Praying for deliverance from demonic oppression. Jesus said in John 14, 12, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to be with the Father. You guys wanted more Holy Spirit. So many of you said that in the questions you sent me when I interviewed. And guess what? I too was praying to be a part of a church that wanted more of the Holy Spirit. So let us pray for a breakthrough of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Yes. So I invite you back next week for the first of two talks on breakthrough of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, you are so good. Many of us thought Christianity was just about being nice and going to church and reading our Bibles and praying and not doing bad things. But God, you open our eyes to see you have so much more for us. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we could actually bring your power in your presence, in your truth, in your light into the dark places in this world where there is evil and despair and hopelessness. That we could bring freedom and healing where there are addictions and sickness and broken relationships. We pray, come Holy Spirit. Come into our lives, come into your church, Come into this community. May your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to continue to worship through singing, through prayer. Um, Prayer teams, if you want to come forward and just kind of line up here, you can do that now. I want to encourage you. um, This needs to be a praying church. Right? I think most of you have no problem with prayer, but I think it takes vulnerability to come forward and ask for prayer. So that's where I feel the kind of the Holy Spirit pointing out, um, come forward for prayer, right? Um, you might have to ask the person next to you, hey, let me out of the row. Um, you might need prayer for, your heal- for healing, for your finances, for your relationship, for your job, for your family, for your walk with the Lord. Maybe you would like prayer for more 
of the Holy Spirit in your life. We all need more of him in our lives. So come forward now, anytime during this song and get prayer. And if, uh, if everybody's praying for someone and you still want prayer, just hold out, hold off. Someone will come up and pray for you. All right, let's continue to worship.